today I am going to, uh, I hope this comes together and you guys can really visualize what I'm trying to say. But ever since we like started this, I have been on this path to really understand or try to understand the cross and the significance of it and the many different facets of it. And I have seen it in so many different ways, but I have seen it in a different way this time. And this is what I'm gonna try to deliver to you. Because we know that the cross is what got us all here. It is one of the most significant parts of the whole story. And I think when we, oftentimes we've heard about the cross so often that it has become almost a cliche in our minds and we fail to sometimes grasp the intensity of it and the significance of it. Um, I also believe that um, there's always a practical lesson to be learned with everything in the Bible, something that we can apply to our lives directly and learn something from it. And what I'm going to take us through with this part of the cross story, I'm hoping that it will be very practical to your life where you can see yourself in it and learn what God wants you to get out of it. As we know that the cross was the hardest part for God to be Christ. So what can we get to help us with the tragedies and the dilemmas in our life? Because the tragedies and the dilemmas are the things that take us away from God. It's the things that shake our faith. It's the things that make us say, is this God really as good as everybody claims he is? Is these scriptures really true about his greatness and his mercy and his protection and all of that stuff that comes into question is usually because of the tragedies and the dilemmas that have befelled us. I have realized so much about our vision and it is our vision that trips us up over and over and over again. And until we can get spiritual vision and really see it how God sees it. We want to see spiritual things, but we want to keep our natural eyes. <clears throat> and we have to awaken the fact that he told us he gave us his eyes. All we have to do is ask him to show it to us from his vision. And if you can get it from his vision, he's going to show you something. Something you never thought was there. Because he's got the whole story played out. It's already finished for him. We're already sitting in heavenly places. So we're just here and we keep looking at what we have right here. But if we can get God to show us what he sees, the walk is a lot easier. So remember now that we are with Christ. This is all spiritual warfare. Remember the chidings in Isaiah in the Gospels who said we see nothing. He said you hear, but you hear nothing. That's what he kept, this is the problem with the church. My children, you see, but you can't see nothing. So what are we looking at? He said, you're hearing, but you're not hearing nothing. We're caught in this little tunnel, and we're blind, and we're deaf, and oftentimes we choose muteness because we don't know what else to do, and we're scared. So we're in this little bubble just afraid, but God is like, you don't need to be afraid. I got this thing. Just ask me, and I'm going to give it to you. Remember the churches in Revelations. He kept saying, hear what the Spirit is saying. You got to awaken that Spirit in you. It's there, but we've kept it dormant for so long and relied on everyone else to teach us that we haven't allowed the spirit to teach us. There are some things that your spirit needs to teach you that no one can teach you, that no one can speak to. Your Holy Ghost was designed for you, just you. 
When he came and delivered that spirit, it was for you and you alone. Yours is not mine. So there's some things I can't speak to you. There's something a pastor, a minister, a, a brother, a sister cannot speak to you. Only God can speak it to you. And that's why it is essential for you to constantly get in the presence of God so that he can talk to you. That's when the spirit gets awakened. That's when he can speak those mysteries to your soul. But we get so nervous that we want noise. We want, it, we want everything to be loud. We want to drown out the spirit, and that's what we've done. You got to be quiet to hear God speak. You got to set an atmosphere of, of, of peace so that he can talk to you. If all you do is bang and jump and run and talk, sometimes we got to shut up. We talking too much. God got something to tell us, but we doing all the chit-chatting. Shh, for a moment. God already knows. Speak what you need to speak, but then at least give him an opportunity to say something back. Don't get up so quick. It may be quiet for a little bit, but that's okay. Just stay there. He's going to come through. He's just wanting to see what you wait for. Or if he don't show up instantly, will you going to run? Just stay there and have confidence that he's going to show up. Okay, so this lesson, this is something I don't be saying this stuff is prophetic. Uh, but I feel this, that for some of you in here, this is going to be very prophetic. That what I'm about to talk about, you haven't maybe quite entered into. For others, this is an answer to what you've been through. So we're going to use mainly Mark 14. And it's 72 verses, so we know we're not using all of them. Y'all go back and read it for yourself and see what the Lord gives you. Because I'm pretty sure and I'm confident of this, that God speaks something different to everybody. So y'all go back and read this. And then if y'all get something profound, please come share it with me. Because I would like to hear what he gives you. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm just going to try to make this as clear as possible and not take too long because y'all know I can get a little chatty. Okay, so the chapter opens up with them trying to find the most opportune time to kill Jesus. The devil is just scheming to find the right time to execute his plan. As this plan is in full bloom, Martha, she comes and pours perfume on his head. Verses 8 and 10, the crowd, namely Judas, is upset because they don't feel he's worthy of the perfume which represents the anointing. Judas leaves to betray him, and the setup of the plan for Christ to be arrested and killed is in bloom. Now, if we skip to verses 18 through 21, Jesus tells of the betrayal that is soon to happen. Verses 27 and 31, Jesus tells them that the world is going to fall apart and that it is his fault. Peter and the rest of them vow that they will not betray or deny him. Verses 32 through 34, we have Jesus in Gethsemane, and he is in agony. He asks for the disciples to stay with him. 35 through 36, he's praying for a way out but then decides, not my will, but thine be done. 37, he goes back to his people and is sad that they are asleep again. 39 through 41, Jesus prays the same prayer again. This is the third time he prays the prayer to the Father. 41, he sees that they are asleep, but this time he's made peace with his path. And he courageously goes forward. 42 through 45, as soon as Christ was prepared by God to willingly do his plan, the betrayer came and kissed him. Verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled, and that's why I'm going to end with that story. So let's translate it to our lives. So we have a death plot in full bloom. The devil has been scheming to find the right time to execute his plan. Satan will use whomever he can, even you, 
to sabotage yourself. There are times when self-sabotage, and we need to open our eyes to see if we are the assailant against ourselves. Sometimes we want to point the finger at others, but we have opened the door for them to wound us. Now other times it's completely out of our hands, and others have planned and executed the death plot with Satan. As you look at your life and your circumstances, you gotta know the difference between self-sabotage and other sabotage. And you gotta call it correctly. If you misdiagnose, you will mistreat and you will never heal properly. Know the difference. God sends someone to place a special anointing on you. This can come in many forms. This person was probably in your life just for this very purpose. And you may not even know the anointing they've put on you. The anointing also comes in the form of the Holy Ghost, which is the most important anointing. But remember, you were chosen before the world began. We received life because God breathed in us. The crowd may be upset that you were favored because they don't find you worthy but God does. Some of us, the devil has been after since birth. He conspired with some parents, some siblings, and some family members to try to take you out before you could even fight for yourself. Mm. Remember, Jesus was anointed before his burial. So before your death, God has already anointed you to endure the scheme. If we evaluate Judas, we see that someone has been set forth in your life to give you a fatal blow. And it's so they think. Satan has convinced someone that they would receive a hefty reward for the betrayal. Some folks are being used by Satan and don't even realize what they are actually conspiring to do. His ability to deceive is enormous. Oftentimes, people don't even realize the damage that they have done until the death plot is executed. You just want to make sure you're not Judas in anyone's life. And if you have been Judas, don't tuck tail and run for the tree. Man up, confess your sins to the one you harmed, and make restitution if possible. Make sure you let Satan carry the bag. Stop putting it on Jesus' shoulders. He didn't do it. Verses 18 through 21, we see Passover is prepared. And the thing with Passover that we have just symbolized Passover with the communion, with a piece of bread and a little cup of wine, and the true significance of Passover, I'll say one of the significance, it was a very familial thing. It was people sitting down together. It was breaking of bread. It was a communion truly with one another. It was not symbolic when he sat down with his disciples. It was very, he was there to talk to them. They were all together. They did this together. Those that are faithful and those will be, that will betray you are often seated at the same table in our lives. Often our biggest wounds are from those that are closest to us. Those we have shared intimacies with often have the power to hurt us. We must always stay on guard with those we love so we aren't being a pawn for someone else's destruction. Most often, no one wants to take the credit for the pain they have inflicted on you. Even when we hurt ourselves, we don't want to take credit. We must always ask for discernment when dealing with the ones we love and those we want to love us back. At Passover, Christ foretold of who would harm him. There are times when Christ has whispered to you to pull back and guard yourself, but because you need that love and acceptance, you stay there and the death plot becomes easier to execute. 
Awaken your spirit and listen to it when it speaks. Christ is not always speaking niceties. Sometimes he tells us hard truths. And we have been so accustomed to believing God would never say anything foul about people. So we're like, oh, that's not the spirit. That's me. Oh, I must not like them. Lord, help me to love everybody. He's trying to tell you something about some folks. Listen. And one thing that you can always, when you know good and well, you don't really want to believe that about somebody. Like everything in you is fighting, saying, no, they a good person. No, they wouldn't do that. No good, that's the spirit telling you something wrong. Listen, everybody's not good. Everybody in your life is not there to bless you. Some folks are there to harm you. Watch verse 21, and he says, woe to that man. It is better he was not born than the harm of the Christ. Matthew says that if you harm a child, it is better for you to tie a stone to your neck and be cast to the sea. We are Christ's children. Vengeance is his, and in time he will pay. This is one reason why you don't want to get involved in the payback. Everyone will reap what they sow. We will all reap what we sow. If you want to reap well, you must learn to sow the right seeds. And when people have to reap, do not stand in the way because you disagree how God's making them. Let God make them pay. Verses 29 through 31. Peter is swearing he will not deny Christ. And I think he even convinced himself that he wouldn't do it. When he said that to God, he was not lying. In his heart of hearts, he believed I would never deny him. He did not know himself well enough to say that when I get pressured, I tuck, tail, and run. That's why it's essential for you to know yourself. It's essential for you to ask God to give you a course on yourself so that you know where your weaknesses are. So when God tells you, watch out for that, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm saved. I wouldn't do that. He didn't tap you and said, that's a weakness. Go on and take it in. It's okay. We have, to have, we have to be able to tell the truth about ourselves. We have got to want to know the ugly truths as to who we are so we can change it. So what are your weaknesses? How much pressure makes you tuck tail and run on others? How much pressure makes you tuck tail and run on God? How much pressure makes you tuck tail and run on yourself? As I said before, there are some folks God has warned you about, and a lot of his warnings come in the form of us watching people's character. God has a destiny for all of us, and he will get the glory in the end. Sometimes people who have really loved you will deny you for the plan to be executed. Sometimes you will play Peter in others' life for the plan to be executed. And we wonder why sometimes we've hurt people who we know we loved. The plan had to be executed. And you wonder, you say, did this person ever love me? How, if you ever loved me, if you ever cared about me, could you harm me in this way? The plan had to be executed. When you play Peter, make sure you learn the lessons and you become the person that God can hand the keys of the kingdom to. See, Peter learned his lesson. He learned where his weaknesses were. He was able to then man up, and God was like, you, I can give you the whole keys to the kingdom because you didn't figure this thing out. Verses 32 through 35. Here we have Christ praying for this to pass, asking God to show him another way to accomplish the same plan. He has asked his core group to stay and wait with him. I'm sure in hopes that they had his back. I'm going to need a little help. This is Jesus. And we act like we don't need some help and some support. Jesus needed it. He was in agony. See, when the death plot is going forth, 
you are in agony and you cannot understand why a good Jesus would let you be in that kind of agony. He was in agony to the point where he cried blood. This was intensity. This wasn't no joke. He really did not want to do the cross. He prayed three times. Good Lord, we, I know you can come up with another plan. I know that there's another way that we can get these folks with us. I get you on them. But is there a way that we can do this another way? Because what you didn't put in my spirit of what I'm about to endure, I just disagree. And that's what we all say with the things that come in our life. I disagree that this is a plan. This could not be what you want to give me. You've got to find another way. Mm, please. But sadly, the group, they loved him. They couldn't manage to stay awake, let alone carry some of the burden. So Jesus had to carry it all himself. Some stuff got to be endured alone. Mm -hmm. Stop being upset with the ones who love you because they can't help you. This is set forth in your life so you and Jesus can meet. The last thing the devil wanted his plan to accomplish was for you and Christ to connect over it. He wanted y'all to disconnect because of it. His desire is for you and Christ to become enemies like he and Christ is. And a lot of times we bought into it. We have become enemies with Christ because of the plan. And the devil was smiling because he won. Remember, this is all about Christ and Satan. You are merely a pawn in the game. You were just a casualty. Keep that in mind. That keeps you out of being so self-centered. It's not about you. When you chose to step into this walk and say, I'm going to live for Christ. No, we didn't know what we were saying when we said that. It sounded good at the time. We were like, oh, Jesus is going to take me to heaven. This is going to be wonderful. Man, this is what I got to endure now? And you look at other people and you say, wow, their life seems so much more simple. They're not going through all this grief and Jesus is supposed to be with me because the devil don't care about them. Those people don't hurt Christ as much as you do. So when you pull back on him, when you decide I doubt you, when you decide God is no good, his motives are not pure, you're hurting Christ. The devil is excited. He's like, ah, this is how we get him. Because, see, he knows how much God loves you. He knows how much. We don't know how much. We can't, we can't comprehend he loves us that much. But the devil knows how much he loves you. So he wants to take it all from him. Okay, so verse 41. Christ has made peace with the plan and has courageously decided to move forward. He said, all right, I didn't have my talk with Jesus. I mean, Jesus had his talk with the Father. He didn't spoke something in the spirit. He's like, I can do this. He goes back to him. Come on, y'all, get up. He already knows what's about to happen. Let's go. Instantly, the betrayer is there. Hmm. Christ's battle had already been fought during his night with prayer. We, we underemphasize how important prayer is. And for years, I never got the prayer thing. Like, I never, I was like, people, I know they praying and carrying on. And I never really got the significance of prayer because prayer was presented as this formula. You know, God, Jesus, Father, you got to get all formal, King Jamish, and all this stuff. And not realizing that he just really wanted to connect. That's it. It's just you talking to him. 
When I got that and it clicked, that means I can talk to him the way I talk to anyone else. I can just be me in his presence. And I can just tell him all the stuff. I can tell him where I'm upset. I can tell him where I'm disappointed. I can just talk to him. And shockingly, he talks back. Because, you know, we've been sold this bill of goods like he don't talk to everybody. Every good father talks to his child. Good one. Every good husband has nice conversation with the wife. That's what the communication's all about. So he want to talk to us, but we don't even know his voice. Like, is that Jesus? Was that me? Well, Lord, I'm confused. Did I want this to happen? No. And if you get quiet enough, he will always affirm his, his voice. And he will affirm when it's you. There's many times when I'm like trying to conjure up making it Jesus. And he'd be like, that's you. And I'm like, all right, I knew it was me, but I just wanted to see if we could get on, you know, board together somehow. So the biggest part was him willingly submitting to the plan. See, that's the biggest part for us, for us to fall into the plan. It's the falling that's the problem. Because we're not sure he's going to catch us. So it's like, Lord have, um, <laughs> I'm trying to ease down on the fall, but <laughs> I don't feel nothing on my back holding me up. <sighs> God gave him the courage to step into the pain of the cross. Can you stay in God's presence until he strengthens you with the courage to step into the pain and claim your God-given path. See, what we're running from is the pain. I don't want the pain. But you got to courageously step into the pain. Embrace the pain. And let the path go forth. No one said that this would be easy. I think one of the problems with many Christians is that they never truly had the Gethsemane experience. That we got saved. And we come to church. And we do the thing. But the pinnacle of Christ was that Gethsemane experience. See, him healing the sick, him doing all teaching, that, that was who he is. That was, the, that was easy. Walking in, doing this thing. See, it's easy for us to go to church. It's easy for us to have somebody teach us. It's easy for us to do all this stuff. But when the pain comes, and you're in the battle of the will of God versus your will, that's true salvation. That's when you have connected with God. Every child of God has to have a Gethsemane experience if they're ever going to grow in God. Now, if you want to stay just where you are and just, you know, I'm not, I don't know where you're going. That's not my business. But it shouldn't even be all about heaven or hell. It should be about relationship. Our focus so much is about where am I going at the end? You ain't there yet. Let's work on where we are right now. You got to have this experience, and it's going to be agonizing. Pain. Can you step into the pain? They never get, you will never, I'm sorry, get some deep revelation about God and yourself until you get in his presence. See, that prayer, them, them, those prayer that night when he kept going back, isn't it interesting that he kept going back? Like he got up from it and was like, you've got to be kidding. And we go into man saying, but can you help me? Can you offer me some words? And you're like, well, you ain't got nothing to say. You're not helping me. Then he went back to prayer. Okay, wait a second. I got to talk to the Father. Since he's executing this plan, I guess I better go chit-chat with him. But then Jesus got up again and went back to the people. 
and was looking for them to be there to give him something. Then he went and prayed again. This is the key. Now that last prayer was, must have been the most powerful. Because he got up from that one saying, oh, I'm ready for this. Bring this on. Can you imagine the toil that was in his mind? Can you imagine how much Satan was talking to him? This is your father? He about to make you do what? And you going to willingly just throw your life down for them people? Haven't you noticed half of them don't want you? You've been rejected by most of them? I mean, and you going to go and lay your life down for them? God, what kind of father you got? Now, if you come with me, I'm not going to harm you. I give you everything. Come on and stay with me. If he really loved you, he would come up with something else. But we've got to show God our deep agony. We've got to show him our pain. See, we, we're too tight-lipped. You got to speak that stuff out. It's power in speaking. It's power in giving something a voice. All that quiet praying and just sitting there, no, open your mouth and talk to God. Put that stuff out there. Shine some light on that stuff. And until you decide to do this, you will keep revisiting the same things over and over and over. You will never be freed from the very thing you want freedom from. We need to be like Jesus and be willing to cry tears of blood. Talk to the Father until he supernaturally closes us with courage, strength. And this will only occur when we completely surrender to him. Once this happens, there is nothing that Satan can bring to you to shake who you are in God and how much God loves you. Like Jacob, we must say, I won't let go until you bless my soul. We're going to stay here until we find peace. I need a soul transformation. I need my soul to be different. I need to walk out of here different than I came in. And not in a cliche form. But then I walk out and my vision is different. My spirit is different. It is time for my soul to be transformed into crisis. It is time we become truly one with him. However, even we see Christ break when he had to endure the hardest part, which was taking our sins. He knew what he was going to do. He was okay with it. Sometimes the most painful thing in life is having to be harmed because of someone else's sins, their issues, their problems, their sicknesses, and their evil. When some people harm us, it is because of the sickness in them. It has nothing to do with us. Other times, people are pure evil. Evil is out there. Some people have no conscience and they are in our lives, and they are perpetrating in our lives, and they are purely being used by Satan. In church, yes. Remember, he can transform himself into an angel of light. That's where discernment comes in. You gotta ask God, show me who's in my life. Watch for Satan. Satan comes in, in a very nice demeanor. He's very sweet when you first meet him. He ain't looking crazy. He's got to deceive you. He's got to pull you in. Hmm. When Christ took on our sins, it was more than just behavioral stuff. But he felt the gravity of every pain and sorrow. Every burden and disappointment, every betrayal and abuse, 
all that was on him. Everything that went forth in your life, is hey, he'd already felt it. He felt everything that has ever hurt you, harmed you, saddened you, or broke you. All that was going through him when he was up there on the cross. I wish we could all feel the depth of that pain so that we could see how much God truly loves us. That he would endure that for us and not get down. And not say, okay, you got to take this away. But went through it. He carried that in his total being. Every part of him was in agony. And I don't think it was so much a physical agony. It was a spiritual, emotional agony that tortured him. Hmm. Every part of him felt your pains. Don't you for one moment believe that the totality of your life doesn't matter to God? Everything that comes in your life matters. And by him feeling that pain and everything, everything that would ever come to block and destroy you from being who he created you to be, he set forth for the Holy Ghost to cover. So every hole you have, the spirit has already come in and filled it. You're already filled. You don't have any holes in God's eyes because the spirit is already working it. We got, that's what I'm saying, we got to awaken that spirit so we can see I'm not broken. I'm not, I'm not defeated. I'm not full of holes. I'm really whole. I am a complete being in God's eyes. Because God filled every hole. That's the power of having the spirit. We downplayed to be speaking in tongues. No, it's bigger than that. It is a hole filler. Mm. The spirit is there to set you free. Free to be who God created you to be. Let your spirit do the work it has already been set forth to do. It is the miracle of God resting in you. So back to the story. The transactions that have come in your life. The ones that killed a piece of you. This is the one that changes you. And you know that after this killing, you will never be who you once were. Some stuff has come and I'm never going to be that girl I used to be. That part of me died when that thing happened. The death was set forth in your life so that God can resurrect you. In those three days in the ground, he had to look Satan in the face and take the keys from him. Scripture is very quiet on those three days and what it looked like for Jesus, because Lord knows I've been trying to figure it out. But I wonder, this is just me talking, if when he went and snatched the keys from Satan, looked him in his eyes, was he still feeling forsaken by the Father? When did he get back to the Father and say, we back to being one? Because those sins separated him from the Father. Was he able to do the work that God told him to do, even though he still felt forsaken? Can you still go forth and do what God has put in your life, even though you feel forsaken? Did that night in prayer and surrender give him enough faith to believe that when this is over, my father will be there with open arms ready to receive me? So I must accomplish the task that he has told me to do. Can you imagine the intensity of the love he felt that night of surrender. Enough was placed in him to endure it all. Before Christ can give you permission to see Satan, he has to prepare you, strengthen you, and equip you. He must love all over you. 
This happens before the death. Remember, we fight not against flesh and blood, but you got to get that God vision so you can see what you need to fight. Before you meet Satan to snatch his keys, your vision will be clear in your course and failing. He's not going to set you up for that meeting without preparing you. Once you have the keys, you will be raised to finish your God course. You will be transformed. You will never be who you once were. You will be able to say in all things, I give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. That ain't some scripture you can quote just at any point in your life. This quoting of this scripture from the heart comes through some agony, comes from some getting to meet Jesus kind of prayers. This is some serious stuff to say this with truth. See, y'all ain't got to quote everything in the Bible. Don't quote it till you believe it. Don't try to quote it enough times like, oh, Lord, I'm going to believe this. I'm like, no, no, shh, because now you're lying. Don't quote it till you can believe it. God's patient. He'll give you some time. Stop saying stuff that ain't true. This can only happen when you fully surrender to God. You have to get in his presence, lie on his chest, and listen to his heart. You must quiet yourself in solitude with Christ. Allow your spirit to be awakened and have God speak mysteries to your spirit. During our struggles, we talk too much, begging in prayer and not trusting. God knows he needs you to hush so he can speak and lead that spirit man. This is why we need many encounters with God in solitude. Every manifestation of God destroys the work of devil. It takes time and many manifestations to have all the works of Satan destroyed in your life. If the works aren't being destroyed, you have had merely an introduction. Now you need to see a manifestation of God. See, this is why it is essential for us to stop playing when it's time for us to come and meet God. We've got to all get tired of doing this X, Y, Z kind of motion because we're not defeating Satan. We got to defeat him. And we come in just, you know, to run and clap and, and sit down and just, okay, I'm going to sit and listen to the message. Okay, amen, thank you, Jesus. Walk out and nothing has been moved in your life. God's not satisfied with that. We're living way beneath our privilege because we won't kill Satan. Go snatch his keys. Scripture doesn't tell us what went on with Jesus and the Father during the three prayers before the cross. But the Father had to speak something to him to give him the courage to readily face his betrayer on the cross. If your tragedy has not produced a new you, one that is more like Christ, then you need to go revisit it. Ask God to take you back through it. Ask him when he's taking you through it to give him his vision so that you can see what you were supposed to get out of those tragedies. Out of those things that Satan brought in your life, you need to see what God saw so that he can accomplish the work in you. Allow him to walk you through that Judas experience again so that you can become what he birthed you for. Now, the walking through it is going to be painful. And many times you're going to say, I don't want to walk there. But if you let him take you, he's holding your hand. Let him show you what he really wants you to be. So the next time tragedy comes, you can say, kiss me quickly. So we can move to the higher place in God. Otherwise, Satan gets the glory in your life. Get close to God. He will show you the plans he has for you are good and not evil. Whatever evil that has come in your life was not God's plan. Because he don't work in the evil. That's all Satan. Give it to him. Start accusing God for being evil. It's not in his character. 
He don't play that. The last thing I want to correlate, making sure that God gets the glory from our lives. The death of Jesus was about God getting the glory. Your death is about God getting the glory. Like I said last night, we are all about ourselves. And Satan has given us his vision. And we are looking at life through Satan's lenses. The question becomes, is your relationship with God about your deliverance or God getting the glory? If your relationship is about your deliverance, y'all going to have a rough road. If your relationship becomes about God getting the glory, it gets a lot easier. Can you say Jesus get the glory even if it means I won't be delivered yet? But can you trust the fact that your deliverance will come at his appointed time? Look at the story of Lazarus. Jesus purposely delayed his coming so that Lazarus would die. He needed death to occur so he could provide resurrection. Lazarus died, although he said his sickness was not unto death. Can you see your situation from God's eyes so that even though death has occurred, you know resurrection is right around the corner? According to John's account, this happened right before the betrayal in the death walk. As we read this, hear God speaking about your situation. John 11, 14. And I'm reading the message most of the time. Love that little translation. Isn't it? It's beautiful. If y'all haven't read that, go get that. It makes it so clear. Just go to the bookstores. So 14, then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. I'm glad he died. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. So you always got to watch that sarcastic bunch with you. It's always going to be somebody to throw in a little extra. <laughs> when Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. God is not going to give everyone insight into your death. You will have many well-meaning people sympathizing with you. Don't let that guide you off your path. See, it feels good when people, oh, you tell them your story. They say, wow, ooh, Jesus, let's pray. And we just crying year after year and week after week, and we talking about the same story and conjure up the tears all over again. And everybody like, you, you got a right to cry about that. And I, no doubt you got a right to cry about it. You got a right to be hurt over it. You can't stay there because you're getting off the path. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Now, God's about to drop some serious revelation on her. Because, see, this is where we are. I know the rapture's coming. It's going to be all over. I'm going to die, get rapture, and that's where my peace is going to come. While I'm here, I'm just going to be in agony. Because that's just the world. See, we, we surmise all this stuff in our head. He says to her, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me 
does not ultimately die at all. You're not dead. The death has occurred, but you're not dead. Do you believe this? See, do, you, do you believe this? We don't have to wait for the rapture or death to be resurrected excuse me, from our spiritual deaths. I borrowed this from someone else, and I think it was Dr. Jeffers. I listened to his message. Resurrection is not a day. It's a being. We waiting for a day. The resurrection is in you. You are alive. Come back. You're not dead. Get to breathing again. <laughs> We're going to move down to verse 32. It says, Mary came to where Jesus was, because he deals with each one of us differently. He loves us that much. Waiting and fell at his feet. See, she's the one that just broke into you. Jesus, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, this is from all sincerity. See, Martha was more direct. No, you didn't. I'm going to walk out with you right now. We got a little bone to pick. You didn't mess up. Martha, she's more weepy. I mean, Mary, she's a little more weepy. She's just falling at his feet. And you know, some of us, sometimes you just, so much has happened, you just fall. But Jesus, if you didn't have to let this happen. Hmm. When Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? See, y'all didn't make me upset. I didn't told y'all I'm the resurrection and the life. That if you just believe in me, I told you his death, was, his sickness was not unto death. Why you people chide me talking about where is he? When you going to take care? Why would you let this happen? You know, I never saw the fact that he was angry. Because, you know, we skip over that stuff. And we just say, oh, he's a resurrection. Like, we just love the Lazarus story. <laughs> we love the Lazarus story. He's just telling us all this stuff. Let come for it. And then, oh, that's the amazement of the resurrection. The Jesus was angry. How many times have we chided God with this? Why you let this happen? If you was here, this wasn't happened. You know, I surmise he was angry because no one got who he was. How frustrating must it be for Jesus to say, I didn't give y'all all this information about who I am, and you just don't want to believe me. I'm sitting here walking with you. He was friends with them. He didn't have dinner with these folks. Y'all didn't see some miracles. You was right there with me. You told me how much you loved me. And look, well, you don't, I don't believe you. And this is why everything gets halted in our life, because we just don't believe. So is the moment we stop believing, the moment we stop moving. Unbelief is just paralysis. When you choose to believe, then you get movement again. Our faith ties God's hand. It's the only thing that makes him not be able to perform the miracles. Without belief, he can't do it. So when you choose to believe, that's when you'll get some miracle. He's in us. He was just walking with them. He is in us, and we still doubt him. The amount and the intensity of the God who created this universe sits in you. He spoke the creation into existence. You think he can't speak something in your life and transform you? Let there be light? Speak light. This is Jesus we're talking about. It says, Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. Did he weep because we just don't get it? And now he has to do a miracle for us to believe instead of an expectation of what we should already know he can do. He said this is not unto death, and even if a death occurs, resurrection must have to. He wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? That's where we are. 
After all, he opened the eyes of the blind man. See, that's what we do because we compare stories. Well, he delivered her. Well, why he delivered me? If he loved you so much, I guess he, you know. And we have all these little stories and this little chatter going back and forth. Let us make sure that we are not like those folks saying, if he loved me so much, why didn't he keep this from happening to me? Verse 38, then Jesus, the anger again welling up in him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days, doubting again. Now, you didn't ask me to come up here and, and resurrect this man. I'm about to do it, and you're still talking to me. Will you shut up? I'm here to move the stone. I'm going to deliver the man, and you sitting there talking. But it's too big for you. This, you. I know you can't handle this. This is too much for you. It's four days. Not just one or two days, but it's been four days. He stink. You sure you can get this going? And then we, we, we give God this stuff, but then we say, do you know the intensity of what I've been through? Are you sure you can heal all the wounds? You sure you can repair all that stuff? You telling me you can get me someplace where I don't feel that no more? You sure you can do that? Number 40. You know, and then, let me say this, uh, and I'm, I'm surmising again, but our lack of belief has to anger God to pure frustration. Like, are you serious? We got to go over this again. <sighs> but look at his love, because he does it anyway. He's heartbroken, but still performs for us. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you and promise you that if you would believe and rely on me, you would see the glory of God? How did us good church folks, good Lord help us, decide that it was okay to stop believing and relying on Christ? How did we become okay with our disbelief? And make it just a part of the story. Well, you're going to lose faith sometimes. Well, that's just a part of it. Well, you know, yeah, this is hard. Well, at least we know the rapture going to come. How have we gotten okay with not believing in the supernatural ability of God? And how have we patted on ourselves on the back and say that we good saved folks when we don't even believe in the one that saved us? Why are we doing all this? Why are we wasting our time coming to church, getting dressed up? Why do we do all this? Who is it for? For us? It's not for him. Because we walking in every week with unbelief. We hitting our knees all the time, not believing a thing. Who are you fooling? God already knows. Our hearts are far from God, and we just keep up with the status quo. But we still want him to, to perform. We like perform over my unbelief. If you so big, why you need my belief to do it? Ain't you God? What you need my okay for? We read the scriptures, and we never really see how disappointed God is. I mean, every time we face doubt, we must ask God to forgive us. See, that doubt and that fear, we must constantly place at his feet. And you will find yourself, once you get conscious of your doubts and your fear. You place that at his feet like all doggone day. Because we operate in doubt. 
We operate in fear. That stuff we got to constantly lay down. Lord, I can't have that. I got to give that to you. Most of the times we, we cry out to God. We ask him how and why, but we don't do it with faith. We do it with pure doubt that he won't come through. Verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear. But I said it because of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. He's saying sorry to the Father. I'm sorry I got to do this one. But they don't believe. So allow me to do this for them. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came bound in the grave clothes, his face muffled and his head swathed. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And so at last, many of the Jewish leaders who were with Mary and saw what happened finally believed on him. Finally. Does someone have to come from the grave for you to believe? But some went away to the Pharisees and reported it to them. Pharisees, that's the good church folks. Make sure you're not one of those folks that sit and watch a miracle in front of your face, but then you gotta go back and run and say, is this good enough? What y'all think? Y'all know what they did? Jesus, he, he raised somebody from the dead. Is that okay with y'all? They go in the back to ask the church folks, is it okay that he raised them? Y'all, is this acceptable in what we doing? I think that Jesus ain't got a little carried away. I mean, giving folks sight is one thing and helping the, you know, the folks to walk. We didn't get into a whole nother category. But we doubt. If you go down to John 12 and 9, you see that they wanted to kill Lazarus. They wanted to kill him along with Jesus because he was the one raised from the dead. I'm going to kill you because you had the nerve to get up out the ground when he called you. But watch that in your own life. When God raises you out of this, this, this death you think you've occurred, watch folks try to put you back in the ground. When Christ raises you, trust that another death plot will be put out on your head. You've been risen. Walk in that. Don't be surprised if somebody else sits something out in your life. But this time, you better not flinch. He raised you once. You should know he could raise you again. The folks were mad because his resurrection made people believe. Your life is speaking miracles to somebody. That's why they mad. You saying Jesus did this for me. You saying Jesus is my personal savior. No credit goes to no one but Jesus. That makes folks angry because they want the credit. Yeah. Watch out when folks want you to be quiet about your miraculous events. We didn't heard your testimony already. Shh. So I asked this question again. Is your relationship with God about your deliverance or God getting his glory? Do you want to see the glory of God? Or are you satisfied with the little picture you got right now? Now, the word glory defined in verse 40 is, is uh, defined as force. So this is, do you want to see God's force? Do you want to see his miraculous power, his ability, his abundance, his meaning, and his might? Do you want him to work a miracle with his power and his strength and his violence if need be? 
Do you want to see a mighty, wonderful work? Do you want to see the glory of God? Can you believe that he can show you his glory? For you to see a miracle, you must have faith to believe. God wants to be resurrection and life for you today. Take the death walk. Allow God to raise you into a glorious creation. The only things you have to do is surrender and believe. Two things. This is not a dying pain. It's a victory pain. You're already one. 